Hello, everybody. This is Jennifer Matteris. And before I get started on the podcast today, I'd just like to say a couple of things. The first thing that I wanted to say is a huge thank you once again to Dawn, who suggested the subject for this particular episode. Thanks a lot, Dawn. And the second thing that I wanted to do is say that aside from the usual fundraising techniques that I usually talk about at the beginning of every episode, today I wanted to tell you guys that I am starting a Kickstarter. Think about it as a Christmas present for the podcast. Basically, what I would really like to do is raise enough money to improve the podcast in several aspects. First of all, I would like to replace my laptop. Uh, The uh, laptop that I currently have is a little bit questionable. My desktop is not much better so I'm really afraid that one or both of them are gonna go and it's gonna be a little bit harder for me to uh, handle posting the podcast and and doing all the things that I need to do to get it out there so uh, that's kind of the major thing that I want to do I also want to get a better recording set up right now I am recording on my iPhone with a clip-on microphone that I bought on Amazon so I'd really like to get a halfway decent microphone and uh, you know some kind of sound buffer a material, that sort of thing. Um, I'd also like to see about starting a website, uh, you know, kind of uh, getting some links up for, uh, you know, the um, store, the episode notes and and all kinds of different things that, um, you know, a recommendations list, all kinds of different things that I would really like to put on a website that I haven't been able to do up until now because it's an expense that uh, I haven't been able to afford. Um, You know, I'm hoping to put any other money that would be brought in with the Kickstarter towards uh, paying for things like SoundCloud and and uh, research materials and that sort of thing. Basically, it would all go into making this podcast just a little bit better. Uh, the research stuff I can do. The uh, taking care of business stuff, that's where I'm going to kind of need your help. So like I said, think of this as a little bit of a Christmas present of the podcast. With that in mind, I'd like to say thank you very much for listening this week and welcome to Disaster Area. Episode 20, the 2010 Love Parade Disaster, July 24th, 2010, 21 deceased, 500 injured. The Love Parade was danced to death. In the middle of a celebration of a lust for life, death showed its ugly face to all of us. Nikolaus Schneider, leader of the Evangelical Church in Rhineland. The Love Parade disaster of 2010 takes place in Duisburg in Germany. Duisburg is located in North Rhine-Westphalia in Germany, which, if you're looking at a map of Germany, is basically all the way to the left and in the middle. Um, Think about San Francisco in uh, the kind of the center of the west coast of America. It's right about where that would be in Germany. About 500,000 people live in Duisburg. It's an industrial center with a history of in tobacco, textiles, iron and steel. There's a lot of factories, that sort of thing. Uh, Because of those industrial sites, though, Duisburg was one of the most bombed cities in Germany during World War II. Uh, After the war between bombings and the decline in local industries, the city's population declined over the years. Duisburg actually has 
also the largest inland port in the world. Um, it's like I said, it's about halfway down that map of, of, of Germany, which if you know anything about where Germany is, is not on the water, at least not on the sea. There's a river there. So that is what you're looking at. Uh, there is a large Turkish population in the city. And in 2007, evidence would actually emerge that linked the 9-11 hijackers to a mosque in the city. So it's, it's really um, it's a kind of a place where, um, you know, a lot of things seem to be happening and, and, and still not happening at the same way because it still is kind of a city that's in decline in some ways and, and not in others. Now, the Love Parade Music Festival started in 1989 in Berlin. Uh, it was founded by DJ Dr. Mata and his then-girlfriend, artist and musician Danielle de Picciato, I believe it is. Uh, the parade was first conceived as a political demonstration for peace and international understanding through love and music. And it was really high purpose. And it was also, to be fair, it was also a little bit of a larger birthday party for Dr. Mata. Uh, he would actually step away from the parade uh, in 2006 because of the commercialization of the event. It kind of went from this small thing to this huge thing with lots of sponsors and that sort of thing. Love Parade was a uh, kind of a techno parade, which basically it featured mostly electronic music and artists with efforts to add other genres not really working out they tried to add hip-hop it didn't really didn't really work uh what would happen is you'd have this parade it would feature trucks with open tops uh dancers box speaker systems um there would be there would be stages but you would have you know these trucks moving around and lots of music lots of dancing it was a really great atmosphere uh you would see people climbing onto street lamps telephone booths etc to dance uh people who would attend would wear you know costumes face masks um there are a lot of videos on youtube of um of past love parades and, you know, this is a couple of hours of just, you know, techno music and German people dancing in the streets. And the thing that you have to keep in mind if you're going to go watch those videos to get some idea of the atmosphere, excuse me, of the atmosphere of this particular celebration is that it's not safe for work. Um, a lot of the participants would be caught on camera, flashing their breasts, uh, participating in sex acts. If you uh, watch the uh, video that I linked to in the episode notes, which is from the 2010 uh, Love Parade, you do see breasts. <laughs> Don't watch it at work. Uh, but it really is clearly a very um, good atmosphere. You know, there's a lot of celebrating going on. It's not you're not seeing fighting. You're not seeing mosh pits. You're seeing a lot of like, you know, people having a good time. It's such a good time in fact that me i am not a concert person i'm not a big fan of concerts i don't like concert albums concert videos concerts uh, concert uh, uh shows concert albums anything like that watching concerts it just doesn't do anything for me but i was actually having a lot of fun listening to these concerts and watching these concerts so that kind of shows it's a really it's a really great atmosphere now, the finale of the uh, event, called the Abschlusskundgebung, I think I pronounced it correctly, would feature half-hour sets by these major DJs. And the thing was, they would have all of these trucks, and they would connect these trucks to the main stage. And so this, these DJs are getting a chance to perform in front of just 
a million people at a time. That's that's how many people are coming to Love Parade. Just just a lot of people. You're getting a huge stage and a great opportunity to get your music out there and to get it heard by so many people. The festival, like I said, it had a really great atmosphere as far as you can see in these videos. And it really had a, a history of being fairly lacking in trouble considering its size. When you have crowds like this, you always run the risk of, you know, fights, um, sexual assaults, robbery, all, all different kinds of things that, you know, you really, you really don't want to, to happen. You, know, you really wish you could eliminate it. But unfortunately, you know, it comes with the territory of having crowds like this, and especially with um, concerts. And, and particularly in these case, you have electronic, you know, electronic fans, techno fans. And so it's like a big rave. There's going to be alcohol and drugs going on. And, and, and so it's fairly impressive that they would have these concerts and not a lot of people were getting arrested for things. Um, for example, in 2008, there were 177 parade goers who were provisionally arrested by the police. That's not a lot, considering the hundreds of thousands of people who would have been at that particular uh, love parade. Uh, the arrests are usually related to drug crimes, uh, you know, selling drugs, buying drugs, using drugs, whatever. Um, now, this is one of my favorite things about this particular um, uh, festival, uh, and it's it seems to me just as somebody who who you know likes Germany and 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 has, is of German descent and and kind of is really interested in in sort of you know. Um, this sort of thing that I, I will warn you now this there's a curse coming up so if you're listening at work you know lower your volume but um there was another techno parade uh, that was set up in protest of the commercialization inherent in love parade that began in 1997 it's called fuck parade um, <laughs> which seems it seems delightfully German um, <laughs> It's it's one of those things where um, the, the, these techno parades are they're loud they're fun but they're also you know you you have just commercialization everywhere you have sponsors you have all sorts of things going on and people you know it's kind of a turnoff for some people it's the kind of volume that they had that ran into another thing that I saw which is basically that in 2001 vets at the Berlin Zoo blamed the parade's heavy bass for giving half of its animals diarrhea <laughs> it's kind of one of those those concert related stories that that um, you have with any concert you know they, uh, most concerts always have kind of a silly story unless they completely fall apart which we'll get to later the event was held on the Berlin Kurfürstendamm until 1996, after which um, overcrowding led it to be moved to the Strasse des 17. Juni in the Grosser Tiergarten in Berlin. Uh, it's had its issues over the years, you know, it's, it, just because it has a good atmosphere doesn't mean that it hasn't had other issues. In 2004 and 2005, it was canceled due to funding difficulties. In 2007, the Berlin event on July 7th was canceled because the Senate of Berlin did not issue the needed permits in time. The way it sounds, you know, if you look at certain uh, sources, uh, it kind of sounded like there was a little bit of a political uh, thing going on behind the scenes, and that's basically what ended up happening is they kind of just, you know, deadlocked, and, and so that particular event needed to be canceled. But after that, it was moved to the Ruhr area for the next five years. Uh, the first event there was held in Essen on August 25th. 
And in, in 2009, the Bokshum event uh, was canceled for security reasons. Uh, Love Parade was organized in its later years by Rainer Schaller, who also ran the McFit fitness chain, which sponsored the event. The parade was a free access techno and electronic music festival, festival, meaning that you didn't have to pay to get in. Um, especially for Berlin, it was it when it was still in Berlin, it was an open uh, event. Um, you know, you were having stages, but you were having parade floats with these music dancers, DJs, all of this stuff, and it was in an open area. If you look at, I believe it was the 2006 video that I watched. Uh, where it was in Berlin, you see the stage and it's up above, but it looks down this very long street and you can just see people everywhere. They're all over the place. They're climbing all over things, but it's free reign. There's no, um, you know, there's no barriers. There's no security fences, anything like that. It kind of spreads out on its own. The love parade in, in Duisburg as well was free to, uh, was free to the public. And there were, there were questions, though, about Duisburg being able to handle the festival. As the location that they chose, which I'll get into later, uh, it, there wasn't as much room for the more than a million revelers that would be expected to come to this thing as there was in Berlin. In Berlin, you could really just fill the streets, spread out. I mean, they, they did it in a park. Uh, they were doing it, in, you know, you really could go all around. And of course, it's loud, so you can hear it everywhere. And so, you know, Berlin had a lot, uh, lot more space and a lot different space than Duisburg did. Uh, they had already planned out the 2011 Love Parade, which was going to be held in Gelsenkirchen. Now, like I said, when you get these large groups of people together, and you know, especially for concerts where people may be drinking or taking drugs, uh, where you may have people who are getting riled up by the music, depending on what kind of music you're talking about, bad things can happen. When you get a lot of people into any situation, well, bad things can happen. But in concerts, there are also, you know, there's mitigating factors, the music and the energy and the, the, um, drugs and alcohol usage, which might occur. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things going on in concerts that have caused mishaps over the years. Uh, in December 6, 1969, uh, the Altamont Speedway Free Festival, Hell's Angels providing security for the Rolling Stones stabbed concertgoer Meredith Hunter to death when he pulled a knife. Uh, three other people would also die at Altamont of accidental deaths. In uh, 1977, on May 28th, uh, singer John Davidson was set to perform at the Beverly Hills Supper Club in Kentucky when a fire broke out, leading to the deaths of over 160 people. Uh, in 1979, on December 3rd, at the Riverfront Coliseum in Cincinnati, Ohio, 11 people were trampled when concertgoers waiting for The Who to perform rushed the front doors. They heard music from inside and they thought the performance was starting when actually it was just sound check. In the last week of June in 2000 at the Roskilde Festival in Denmark, nine people died when they were trampled in a stampede toward the stage as Pearl Jam performed. Uh, Pearl Jam, you know, you had, um, you know, them standing on the stage to you know, try and get people to step back a bit. There's video of them saying, you know, take three steps back and, and trying to, to help these people. But unfortunately, nine people lost their lives. On February 20th, 2003, uh, as we spoke about in a previous episode, 100 people died and hundreds were injured when pyrotechnics set off at the start of the performance of the hairband Great White, started a fire which engulfed the station nightclub. 
And on December 8th, 2004, in Columbus, Ohio, immensely ill ex-Marine Nathan Gale killed Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl and three others as Dimebag performed with his new band Damage Plan. Uh, Gale was shot in self-defense by a security guard. So, like, like you can tell, I mean, these are not all of the situations that have occurred in concert situations, but... Yeah, concert situations, they can have all sorts of mishaps. Um, it's between the energy and the drugs and the alcohol and the, the music. Um, people do things that they might not normally do. Now, on July 24th, uh, 2010, it's sunny, it's 75, there's maybe a cloud or two in the sky. Everything that you see in videos of the event, it's a really beautiful day. And it's clearly warm because, like I said, there are a lot of women taking off their shirts or flashing their breasts. It's, it's a beautiful day. Uh, the slogan for the event that year was the Art of Love. And the festival was a key part of Ruhr 2010, which would highlight a cultural events in the Ruhr area. Uh, the Ruhr area is a centralized urban area in North Rhine-Westphalia, bordered by the rivers Ruhr, Rhine, and Lippe. Uh, it's kind of like you have to kind of think of the Washington DC area. I lived in DC for two years and you say that you live in DC, but what you really live in is somewhere around there. Um, with DC, it's, you know, it's Alexandria, Arlington, Silver Springs, Baltimore can probably arguably be included in that. It's basically one large metropolitan area that is all connected. The festival was being staged in the area of a former freight station with a capacity of only about a quarter of a million people. Uh, however, more than a million people were expected, as I said, so it was really kind of, there was a concern there that there wouldn't be enough room for these people. Um, the estimators, the estimations of how many people would be attending this event, uh, would attend this event, excuse me, were varied. Uh, the organization, organi excuse me, the organizers and the mayor gave higher estimates, while the police and the interior minister gave lower estimates. The thing you have to understand with that is that the uh, the organizer and the mayor are going to give higher estimates. The reason being that this is a public event. They really want to make it look like a lot of people are coming or that a lot of people have come. So when you ask them how many people are coming, they're going to say, you know, a million four, um, you know, a million two. Whereas the police and the interior minister, they're going to be looking at safety and they're going to be looking at how many people are precisely there so they know just what their safety concerns are. So if you're talking to the police or the fire department, those sorts of things, they are going to give you a more realistic number. The organizer and the mayor, they're trying to sell the the um, the event, which is understandable, but they're going to inflate the numbers a little bit, which you should kind of expect at this point. The site itself was th 230,000 square meters, and police estimated that four people could fit crammed together in one square meter. Uh, footage would later show that the grounds were never really completely full. Um, like I said, I, there is video of kind of the um, closing acts uh, on stage and shots of the crowd. And it's really not full. I mean, it's, there's a lot of people there, but it's not, you know, back to back. There had been about a dozen, uh, dozen inspections of the area, and police had expressed multiple concerns that there would be injuries or even deaths. Um, they were really concerned about this. Um, it's kind of a question of how much uh, contact they had with the mayor about this. 
you know, sometimes they were uh, denying that that conversations had gone on. Sometimes they weren't. It's really kind of hazy even now. There were about 3,200 police who were attending to provide crowd control. Again, some estimates say 2,000, some estimates say 4,000. 3,200 seems to be about the range that I found would be apt. Uh, There were uh, police officers that were stationed along the way from the train station in Duisburg to the event area. So everywhere you went when you were going to Love Parade, you were seeing police. There were also 1,400 helpers and 59 emergency doctors who were on hand to assist concert goers. So there was some preparation there and, you know, they were ready for something to happen should something happen. The event was scheduled to be opened at 11 a.m., but they were still working on the uh, grounds at the time. There was bulldozing that was going on, so it didn't get opened until 12 p.m. At that point, 20,000 people were already waiting at the access points uh, to get in. To understand the area that we're talking about, you have to uh, picture a long rectangle standing on the short side. So it looks like kind of like a skyscraper. Um, the Frank station in question, it's Alter, Gu- Alter Gutenbahnhof, excuse me, uh, is set high and to the left in this triangle, so it's in this rectangle. So it's basically on the upper left um, portion of this rectangle. The freight station would be encircled by these floats, 16 of them. Uh, they would encircle the building for four hours with the main stage of the final event at the rear of the building, which would be facing the top of that rectangle. Off to the right in this rectangle are railroad tracks. This, uh, um, it's a rectangle, I should say, off to the right of the freight station are these railroad tracks. And then off to the left is a freeway. The organizer had also fenced in the whole area in response to safety concerns. They, they had some issues, so they put up fencing around the area. People who were coming to the concert would enter through two access points to the left and to the right, the west and to the east, um, of Karl-Leostrasse, which was a road that cut across the rectangle right in the middle, horizontally right across the middle. In the center of this, of a Carleostrasse, was a ramp. And what you would do if you were coming from the right or the left on, on Carleostrasse was you'd get to this big ramp and you would go up to the freight station. So it's basically like an inverted T uh, if you see it on a map. There were uh, problems with uh, the ramp in that there were, you know, there's some obstructions in this particular ramp. There was, uh, you know, a food stand and and police vehicles. There were a couple of triangular fences in the center. Uh, So it was kind of, you know, you were kind of obstructed going up there. You kind of had to weave around things to get up there. Um, On the left side of the ramp, is this narrow staircase that's leading up to the festival area. And they really kind of closed it off. They really they wanted people to use the ramp, so they were really trying to make sure that people weren't using that. In the area where Karl-Leostrasse intersected with the main ramp, so right where that T meets, that upside down T, 
there were three security security cameras filming the crowd. Two of them were filming Carlyle Strasse in both directions. And the third one was filming up the ramp toward the freight station. To the left of this main ramp uh, was a smaller one, which ran horizontally. Uh, sorry, that's horizontally parallel to that main ramp. Uh, it was uh, called Am Guterbahnhof. And it was supposed to serve as an exit, but it really wasn't getting as much use as the major ramp. People were coming down it, just not as many. Karlaustrasse passes through a tunnel on the right and under three bridges on the left. So you're basically walking underneath this covered area for most of the way toward Love Parade. Uh, the tunnel itself on the right was about 240 meters long. So it's a pretty long distance to be under this tunnel. For the first three and a half hours after it opens, there's really no problems, no evident overcrowding. People are moving, people are going up to the, to the event. At 3.50 p.m., an ambulance is seen on, on uh, the cameras passing from the left on Karleostrasse with lights ablaze, and people are sort of following that. At this point, uh, after that passes, police begin to form a cordon in front of the smaller exit ramp on the left. So you can see this line of police on CCTV and the people are still moving and they're moving up towards that big ramp. And then once they do, you can see this cordon holding back the people coming from the left-hand west end side of Karleostrasse. Not long after this, not even a minute or two later, P the police form a second cordon on the other end of the tunnel where the um, uh, where the ramp going up to the event the big ramp is is basically right in the middle of this this uh, this intersection is basically right in the middle the police cordon is maybe is not that far away uh, but the uh, on the left that is the police cordon on the left is not that far away well, relatively whereas the one on the right is basically all the way over on the other side of that rectangle there's a, that particular tunnel area is uh, basically cut off at this point so at this point when you look at CCTV you can see that just for a little bit there's only a few people who are approaching that first cordon police cordon on the left end of Karleostrasse there's not a lot of people in this this area in the middle uh, then after a couple of minutes, um, excuse me, at a couple of minutes after 4 p.m., the number of concert goers approaching from the west end, uh, the left side, of Karlestrasse increases dramatically. You just see this flow of people start coming. At 4.02 p.m., you can see that the police line has moved back behind the smaller exit ramp. So basically, if you look at a map of the area, from left to right, you have this smaller exit ramp, and then a bridge, and then the larger entrance ramp. And the police line is now standing under the left archway of that bridge. Uh, before they were standing a little further off to the west, and now they've kind of moved back a little bit. Uh, not a minute after this, the police form a third cordon. This cordon is across the narrowest point at the bottom of the entrance ramp, that big ramp. Uh, you can see it on CCTV. Uh, they form a line across where 
those two triangular uh, fences that I talked about. There's the two little obstructions in the middle of the um, the ramp. So basically they're cutting off across there and now all of the the few people who are still in the center or, or at the bottom of the ramp or in, at the center of this intersection they're kind of cut off. They're kind of stuck there. There's also no loudspeakers at this point. They were supposed to set up loudspeakers as part of uh, setting up the entire event but they really didn't. And so now they have no way to address the crowd, inform them to go one way or another. The police had difficulty commuting with one another as well, communicating, excuse me, with one another as well. They had these radios that were so old, you couldn't even get spare parts for them. And so they had resorted to using their cell phones instead. But because there were so many people there and there were so many people using it, the mobile network just completely collapsed. At 4.13 p.m., the police cord in on the right end of Carl Leostrasse, that one that's really far down, uh, falls apart. A uh, scuffle breaks out between police and people who were kind of waiting on that other side. And so once the scuffle came to and it kind of broke apart that end of the, the police cord and people just pushed right through. Um, they were just kind of freely flowing. The police kind of let them go. At 4.20, the police cordon on the other end of Carl Leostrasse is broken up in a more controlled manner. So instead of, you know, just kind of falling apart like it did on, on the other side, they allow these people to go. So now crowds from both directions of Carl Leostrasse are heading toward that main ramp. These two crowds come in contact with the third police cordon when they start going up the lower end of the ramp. That police cordon is still intact. Uh, the effective width of the ramp at this point is only about 35 feet. So you have tens of thousands of people trying to get up a ramp that's only 35 feet across. Excuse me, 35 feet across. Uh, for the next 20 minutes, uh, people are still trying to get in from both ends of Carl Leostrasse, but they are getting stopped at this police cordon, which is starting to create a situation. At about 4.30, a fence on the west side of the tunnel was opened to let an emergency vehicle through, and now hundreds of people are just following it through the gap. So there's just more people coming into this area. At 4.40 p.m., police are starting to realize that things are, are getting a little bad. So they... You, you can see on CCTV, because like I said, there's there's three set up at the, the ramp, uh, you know, where the ramp intersection is. There's one at the west end of the of Carleostrasse, which is the, the left-hand side, which I, I said before. Um, they're all um, trying, uh, the, the, all these people are coming, they're getting to the ramp, and they're getting into this area, funneled into this area where they have nowhere to go. So they can be seen trying to escape the pressure any way they can. There are people who are starting to climb this staircase that's on the left side of the ramp. There's people who are scaling light towers that are on the right side of the um, um of the ramp you have to picture you know you're thinking of these light towers that are at concerts you know that look kind of like you could climb them anyway but there are you know there are more than a dozen people on this thing and, and you know my first thought upon looking at the cctv footage is that one of those was going to collapse they didn't but I mean, people were really trying to find a way to get out of here now the staircase on the left had been blocked by a pair of security guards for the past 
20 minutes at this point to prevent people from using it to reach the festival area. They really wanted to keep people down in this ramp. They did begin to let two or three people through at this point, but they're not, not letting anybody stop on the staircase for the obvious reason that, you know, they need to kind of filter some of this pressure out. At one point, an unconscious woman was passed up the staircase to get her out of there. The police um, announce that new arrivals should head back to release the pressure. They're trying to get people away from this intersection, but uh, people still kept entering the tunnel from the back. Uh, they really weren't getting stopped. At this point, the ramp between the underpasses and the, the festival area becomes overcrowded. You just have all of these people in this intersection just crammed in there. It's not a matter of, of, st of a stampede. It's not a matter of, of panic. It's just pressure. This point, people are starting to to uh, become injured, if not pass away. Now, as all of this is going on, there are performers who are taking the stage. Uh, techno performers, Tiesto, Monica Cruz, Tief Schwartz, they're taking the stage. Uh, if you look at the video on YouTube, um, you can see them, you know, everybody's having a good time, you know, everybody's um, partying, you know, flashing their boobs, you know, doing whatever it is that you would do at a techno concert. But as you're watching this, you have to understand that um, uh, th th people are dying on the ramp as this is happening. Uh, people who were watching the concert inside the event wouldn't even know what was going on until some of them begin receiving text messages telling them as much after 6 p.m. when the mobile network would have opened back up again. Um, the uh, performers were supposed to start um, this closing bit at about 5 p.m. Uh, Tiesto, if you look at the, the video, Tiesto actually takes the stage at almost precisely 5 p.m. So at this particular point, I mean, there are people who will be found dead in the ramp at this particular time. At 4.47 p.m., uh, the event organizer, Anya Schaller, was being interviewed. And it seems, as far as we can tell, that he had no knowledge of just how thing bad, uh, bad things were getting at that particular point. At 4.51, an emergency vehicle uh, made it onto this ramp, but it wasn't there for the victims as far as we can tell. Um, at 5.02, the first victims are reported on the ramp. They start to find people there. Um, there were witnesses who said, you know, I um, saw somebody lying there very pale and I went to go help them and, and somebody uh, told me, no, well, they're dead. You can leave them be. Um, you know, uh, people who seeing um, victims who had turned blue, uh, this sort of thing. Uh, 5.15, people are, are getting injured, climbing over a barrier to escape the crush. Uh, there's a rope fixed above the tunnel to give people something to use to climb up. This is this sort of thing is is not unusual with these crushing situations. If you go back to the the, the Hillsboro episode, I'm not sure if I said as much or not, but um, you uh, with the Hillsboro episode, um, the Hillsboro disaster, you had people who were reaching up to the to the level above the um, where these people were trapped and. Uh, 
they were just getting pulled up by their arms and they, I, people were trying to help to get them out. And in this case, the same thing's happening. You've got ropes being fixed above the tunnel. You've got a container at the very bottom of the ramp, which people are used to climb, using to climb up out of the tunnel. Uh, there's been an orange ladder lowered down to help people up from there. Uh, to the left side of the ramp, uh, by the entrance to the staircase, there was a billboard that people were climbing to get out. And there was a traffic sign that, which was bent in all of the commotion from people trying to get out, from people trying to, you know, people trying to uh, relieve their own pressure. By the time 6 p.m. rolls around, the tunnel slowly starts emptying, meaning that medics can now enter the area to help people. But at least 10 people are found dead almost immediately. Uh, another 10 would be successfully revived, but you have so many people there who were injured and who um, needed to to get to hospitals. Um, at this point, uh, festival goers are being asked to leave the area, although the music is still playing. The decision was made not to end the concert to prevent further critical situations. You didn't, you kind of didn't want people to, to freak out or to go running towards the ramp to kind of get a peek at what was going on. They really were trying to keep the situation as, as calm as possible. At 7 p.m., emergency exits are open to clear the area more quickly and about 120 buses, which were originally going to carry people after the festival, uh, instead come to bring them uh, away. So instead of um, you know giving them rides at the end of the night, now they're, they're giving them rides home at seven o'clock in the evening. At this time, reports come out that hundreds were injured and at least 15 are dead. Uh, 21 people in total would die at Love Parade, one in the hospital later, um, 20 people there at the scene. Uh, this included 14 Germans with others from, you know, China, Australia, Spain, Italy, the Netherlands, and Bosnia-Herzegovina. Uh, autopsies would later show that all of the fatalities were due to crushed rib cages. There's some stories that people died due to falling off the staircase as they tried to get out of the ramp. Uh, the video only shows three feet people falling according to a study that was done and the height was not high enough to have killed as many people as died on the ramp. Um, it, it really isn't. If you see pictures of it, it's not high enough where, you know, it would kind of be, um, I don't want to say a miracle because it's, you know, certainly not in this situation, but it would kind of be, um, uh, impressive if almost impressive if if people managed to um, um, kill 21 people just from from three people falling from that particular height um, in 2012 uh, that study that showed as much come, came out uh, it was an analysis of analysis of the disaster it's actually really interesting because there's a lot of information in it it found that the deaths were not caused by the, uh, a stampede and were instead caused by crowd turbulence. Basically, these people weren't panicked. They, they, they simply stumbled and they fell and they were kind of trapped where they were. Uh, people can be seen in these videos raising their arms, which is more of a sign that they've fallen and they need help getting back up again. This is kind of, you know, a, a, a bad sign. It's kind of a sign that, you know, if you can't get back up again and you need somebody to pull you up, it's uh, kind of the end. 
panic really wasn't setting in. I mean, there were people who were shown to be panicked in this video, but it wasn't in these videos, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't crowd wide. It was, you know, a few people. And when they would be panicking, you know, the people next to them would be trying to calm them down, would be, you know, saying it's okay, it's okay, uh, offering them water. So it was really kind of people doing what they could. Um, and really not, uh, you know, sort of, you know, uh, people, you know, going like that and just pushing other people or trampling other people. It really was more of uh, an uh, accident of circumstance, basically. The event organizers, Loeb Event, uh, released a video uh, that is on YouTube. I linked to it in the episode notes. It's it's actually a really decent compilation to explain what happened. Um, it doesn't get into everything, but if you needed a, just a quick six and a half minute uh, explanation of every little detail you needed, including if you need to see an image of what the area looked like, kind of an, a, an animation of all of the movement of, of the crowd and, and the area itself so you know where everything is, it's a really good video to um uh, to watch. In the aftermath of the event, there were kind of facts that were coming out. Um, the, like I said, of Spiegel magazine found that, you know, um, uh, that a, they said for 1.4 million attended, you know, it was only authorized for a quarter of a million concert goers. You have so many people who are coming in, you really don't know exactly what's going on and what the capacity is. So the fact that there was such a a distance between how many people may have come and how many people they think actually came, I mean, they can't really be sure of anything. The Stadt Anzeiger news group said that the head of Duisburg's fire brigade told Mayor Adolf Sauerland in October 2009 that the Love Parade venue was, quote unquote, physically not suitable. Uh, that seems to be uh, the case that, you know, they say that um, the police and the fire department were just kind of telling those in, in command, you know, this is probably a bad idea. And Sauerland is kind of, I don't want to say he's the villain of the piece, but he really doesn't come out of this looking very good. Um, he kind of denies so many things. Um, I'll get into that in a minute. But um, there's a memorial service for the dead uh, held on July uh, 31st at an ecumenical church and broadcast to the Duisburg football stadium where many more people could attend and, uh, and show their respects to the deceased. Uh, German Chancellor Angela Merkel attended, but Mayor Sauerland and event organizer Rainer Schaller did not. After the ceremony, about 5,000 people marched in Duisburg to the tunnel where the disaster occurred to pay their respects. There's some really beautiful shots of um, some be beautiful photography of, it. you know, they lay out these candles and they're just kind of spread out at the bottom of the tunnel. Uh, 10 city employees and the event organizers would face criminal charges. However, the court rejected the case in 2016, saying that prosecutors weren't able to prove that the um, employees and the event organizers were negligent and that said negligence caused the disaster. Mayor Sauerland uh, got a lot of flack for not accepting any responsibility and was shown on news footage being booed as he laid flowers in a memorial site. Um, there were calls for his resignation at a July 29th rally at City Hall but he refused to, to resign. He argued that he did not sign any official permission for the event and therefore he wasn't to blame. 
He also received death threats. He actually had to send his family away from one uh, from uh, Duisburg at one point to uh, for their own safety. On August fourteenth, uh, he admitted he inflated the numbers of visitors expected at the event for sort of kind of public relations reasons to make the event look better. The Duisburg City Council attempted to impeach him in September, but they were unable to reach enough votes to do so. Uh, however, Sauerland would be removed from office in a 2012 recall election. Sauerland doesn't look really good in any interview that I saw. I did watch some. Uh, I think the unfortunate thing about uh, a lot of the videos that I had available to me in regards to this was that they're all in German, and my German is not too good at all. <laughs> and, um, I, I'm very rusty and my, my pronunciation's good. That not so much. Um, but you know, and, and YouTube's translation devices is, is spotty to say the least. So um, you kind of were getting just, you were getting the gist, you were understanding it, but you kind of had to supply your own, your own uh, dialogue in there. But um, the thing about it is that if I had been somebody who had lost somebody in this particular disaster, um, and uh, I had to watch him be um, respond the way that he did in interviews. I think it would be very upset. Um, when he's having these interviews, everything is a firm no, no, no. There, I have no responsibility. No, I didn't. You know, no, I didn't get this. No, I didn't get that. And at a certain point, um, you feel like. He's got to be hiding something because nobody has no responsibility, you know, doesn't do anything, doesn't hear anything, doesn't get any. I mean, he just denies everything. And that amount of denial is questionable from somebody who's supposed to be the mayor. It's Mayor Sauerland should have known um, at least something that doesn't mean that he was responsible, but that, you know, he it's at the very least, you know, saying that he he didn't get any letter from police or fire departments. It, that seems a little questionable. It seems like he probably did. And he could have very well said, you know, I did get a letter saying that we, um, that it's maybe not the best place to have this. Uh, but we decided to go ahead with it anyway. Um, you know, there had to be a way that he could explain this. Um, and at least, admit maybe partial fault or at least say, you know, yes, um, one of these things happened, but he just denies everything. And there's a way that he denies it where he's very, um, he's very curt about it. And I mean, I'm, it might just be me imprinting on him, but he really does not give off the best impression. Even to, you know, even to me, even to somebody who's kind of wading through what she knows of, of German and what she remembers and, and what she's getting. And, um, it just seems like his affect is a little flatter than it should be. Um, AXA Insurance granted one million in emergency aid for the victims, and Love Parade organizer Raina Shala contributed to this amount as well, so that they could, you know, take care of um, medical expenses or, or um, funeral expenses, anything that they really had to do in regards to that. Uh, and in the end, the Love Parade Music Festival really did end as a result of the disaster. They have not had another one since. And, you know, Schaller kind of made the point, you know, you can't really have it anymore because it's just this, it's supposed to be this positive 
experience, you know, love and, and hope and happiness and, and peace. And, and it's smarred by what happened that day in Duisburg. I have a thing with these, with these crushing incidents, with these concert incidents. And, and like I said, I am, I am not a concert person. I can count the number of concerts I've gone to in my life on one hand. I really haven't, um, I really haven't gone out and bought concert tickets specifically because I want to see a band except for maybe once. Um, uh, when I went to see Muse, maybe like 10 years ago, um, I, uh, uh, I think, I think the only band that I would ever, you know, uh, throw money down to go see is Queen with Freddie Mercury in lead. And that's not going to happen anymore. So unfortunately, so, um, me in, in concerts, it just doesn't really work out. But, um, and I think part of that is that when I get in these crowds, I start to think of these disasters that I know. Um, I start to think about, you know, oh, well, maybe I need to check out where the exits are because of what happened at, um, at uh, the Beverly Hills Supper Club. And maybe I need to make sure that I'm in a place where I won't get crushed, like at at Love Parade. And, you know, maybe I need to be in a place where I know I can get out quickly in the um, event of a fire, like the Station Nightclub fire. Uh, that's the thing about knowing a lot about disasters is you get a little paranoid about everything, but it's like low key paranoid because you know that it's not something that happens often. You know, it's not the kind of thing that is constantly happening. I mean, it does happen. That's not to say, you, you know, it, it fires do happen. Crushing incidents do happen. You know, these sorts of things happen, but you have enough understanding to realize, okay, I'm probably not going to be burned to death tonight. But at the same time, um, uh, you know, you do have that worry that this is going to be the one in a million shot and you're going to be the one who's going to have to find your way out. And then you start to worry if you're going to be the one who is, you know, who knows how to get out the exits, who thinks clearly enough, who has all the information and therefore should know well enough. And then at the other side, I mean, I have anxiety issues and I just kind of picture myself freezing in this event. And when you freeze in an event such as this, or if you freeze in, you know, say the station nightclub fire, you die. Um, that's, you know, it's really not a situation where you can just stand there for a second and think about what to do. You have to get out. And so I think that's part of the reason that I don't like concerts. Um, I'm not a big fan of concerts anyway, because I really, I prefer it when it's on an, an album and they've gone through all the, all the looping and everything that they need to do to, or, or whatever it is they have to do. I know nothing about music, but um, when they have to do all of this stuff, and, um, you know, I prefer that. I like to be able to stay home and put on my headphones and listen to Spotify as opposed to um, going out to a concert, even if I go with friends, because it really, you know, I mean, you're having a good time. I'm looking at the watch, wondering when I can go home. Um, and uh, I think that's more of a, it might be a social thing, too, because I'm not really um, good with um, being out in social situations for very long before I'm like, okay, I have to leave. Um, so it's probably a, you know, number of factors that make it so that I don't want to go to concerts, but with disasters like this, I mean, they're not common. And so, um, you know, for a, an event like this, especially with the history that it had, where everybody was basically really well behaved comparatively compared to other um other concerts and other festivals um what you could see of love parade was that it really was 
I mean, I don't want to be tacky, but it really was a love parade. You had a lot of people who were having fun and who were, you know, flashing their boobs, <laughs> who were, you know, you're taking drugs and you're dancing in the street and you're really having a great time. And in this particular instance, you can see that um, just from what is going on behind the scenes as added to what's going on at the CCTV footage, there are people who um, really, uh, you know, really somebody, somebody screwed up somewhere, basically. And the organization is kind of a mess. You kind of sit there looking at these police cordons that are going up because you can see them going up on CCTV, especially the one that's right at the bottom of that smaller ramp. Um, and and Guterbahnhof, uh, it's, uh, you can see it going up, but at the same time, you kind of wonder why. And then you wonder why, you, you know, you kind of want a reason for why that's going up and then why the one at the far end is going up and then why the one in the middle of the ramp is going up. Because at this point, you know, where are people going to go? You know, you have so many people who are coming, tens of thousands of people are coming and now they're stuck and they're just building up. It's not making it easier for these people to go through. Maybe if they were narrowing it down so people had to go through a little bit at a time, that would be one thing, but they were really just coming, they were really just going to back up and just come in one big wave. And that, that's sort of asking for a crowd control situation like they had here. So um, nobody's really been punished at this point, but it's one of those things where, I mean, you have to find the evidence for that and you really can't point to one person. People want there to be a scapegoat. Oh, I don't want to say scapegoat. People want there to be somebody that you can point to and say, that person is the reason. They want justice and they want to be able to put somebody in jail or you know give somebody a death sentence, whatever they do, need to do to feel like justice was done. And in this case, I think a lot of people feel that nobody's really been punished for it or, um, you know, Sauerland lost, you know, his seat, but it was in a 2012 recall election. It wasn't in, you know, it wasn't, uh, he was, he didn't resign. He didn't lose his job. He didn't, uh, get impeached. He was still there for two more years. Uh, Ranishala is still, you know, he's still in a, in a, in a good job in a good position. He's not in jail. Um, you know, so many people just didn't get punished. And so you have these victims who were, um, the families of victims who were hoping for some sort of justice and really, I don't think have gotten what they were looking for yet. Um, and they may never get it at this rate. Uh, the next episode, I have no idea what I'm doing for the next episode at this point. Um, I'll find something. Um, there, I have so many things I can do, but, um, uh, everybody has contributed so many different disasters that I think I have sort of, um, too many to choose from at this point. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but, um, uh, yeah, I, until, um, like I said, I did start a Kickstarter for the podcast um, just to kind of make things a little nicer around here, polish things up, make things a little better, get a little more people to listen, and we'll see how it goes. Um, like I said, consider it a Christmas gift to the podcast. <laughs> um, the podcaster is not getting any Christmas gifts this year as far as she knows. Boo-hoo.
you know, world's smallest violin. But um, <laughs> um, if you want to really help out the podcast at this point, that would really, um, really help me to um, make things a lot better. And it's almost been a year since I started this podcast and it's really become sort of a labor of love. And so I would really love to be able to get to the point where I can be putting out a podcast episode a week. Um, as you can see on the Instagram, I've been... Um, putting out sort of on this day in history sort of things um, every day, uh, not the past couple of days because Instagram hasn't wanted to post anything for me, but um, <laughs> finally started doing it again today, as you may have noticed. Um, it like it, I and I'm really uh, liking uh, seeing people on the Facebook, you know, kind of talking about um, disasters and, and making suggestions to one another about sources that they might want to check out, episodes of um, uh, things that they might want to watch. Uh, I saw today people talking about an engineering um, disasters episode about the coconut grow fire post that I put up which is really great so you know keep doing that kind of stuff because if I haven't heard about it then when I see recommendations like that it gives me something else to watch although I did watch that episode <laughs> uh, with that in mind I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening for the past year for some of you and um, I really appreciate you guys listening until next time stay safe mm -hmm.